Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Once again, it's the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. I hope that everybody's enjoying their Thursday. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, and Christie's Cafe. And before I get my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, on for the Daily Dash, we have a great show for you. I'm going to have Jared Dillard on later in the show. We're going to preview that upcoming high school game of the week between Auburn and Central. Going to talk about the Atlanta Braves evening the series with the Philadelphia Phillies. And tonight is the exhibition opener at the Columbus Civic Center between the Columbus River Dragons and the Mississippi Seawolves. All right, I'm going to go ahead and get right into the show and talk about the Braves. Rain pushed game two all the way to 735, and the Braves looked amazing. Kyle Wright, a two-hit, six innings of scoreless baseball. And the Braves beat the Phillies 3 to nothing. It really was a pitcher's duel going into the bottom of the sixth inning. And then Zach Wheeler hits Ronald Acuna Jr. And that's what started the rally. The Braves put up three in the sixth. And then anytime the Braves have a lead and you go into the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, you hold your breath. A.J. Minter had a great seventh inning. Razel Iglesias pitched very well in the eighth. And then... Kenley Jansen shutting the door on the Philadelphia Phillies. And now we are knotted up at one and one. The Atlanta Braves will play the Phillies at Citizens Bank Ballpark this Friday afternoon at 3.30. And then they play another game, game four on Saturday. Hopefully they could get it back to Truett's Park on Sunday for game five. They've got to win at least one in Philly. It'd be nice if they get two, but do you want to try to get a game five with your best pitcher, Max Freed, on the mound at home. I actually expect this to be a long series. All right, let's talk about the other game that played later in the night. And what did I say on the show? I said that Clayton Kershaw is not the same pitcher in the postseason. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great. He only pitched five innings and gave up three runs. The San Diego Padres beat the Dodgers 5-3 to three to even up their series. But guess what? San Diego's got the home field advantage now. This is going to be an exciting series either way because you have two teams from Southern California that do not like each other. And the Padres have always been little brother to the Dodgers. I think the Padres have a chance because the Dodgers don't have that stout postseason pitching that they once had. Walker Buehler's on the shelf. On Friday, you do have Tony Gonsolin taking the mound. He's really been the surprise of the year because he was their fifth starter last year. Remember, the Dodgers had Walker Buehler, Max Scherzer. They had a much better pitching staff last year. This year, not so much. You got some action in the American League tonight as the Seattle Mariners take it on the Houston Astros. Astros leading that series 1-0, to zero, and then the Cleveland Guardians take it on the New York Yankees. Yankees leading that series 1-0. to zero. NFL football tonight on Prime Video. The Washington Commanders, 1-4, and four, taking on the Chicago Bears. You know, I actually thought that Justin Fields played very well against the Vikings. This is a pick game. Hopefully it won't be as bad as the Indianapolis Colts 12-9 win over the Denver Broncos last week. You got college football tonight, Baylor, West Virginia, and Temple, and UCF. Well, we had Wednesday night college football last night as the Louisiana Raysian Cajuns beat Marshall 23-13. I saw something on ESPN that showed that starting October 27th, we are going to get 27 straight days of college football. It is incredible. I cannot wait. I enjoy watching football on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I mean, we get the typical games on Monday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but 
And why not have college football all seven days in the week? NBA preseason last night, well, the Atlanta Hawks lose to the Cleveland Cavaliers, 105-99. Donovan Mitchell, he is going to be the big surprise for the Cavaliers this season. And I think the Cavaliers are going to fight for that fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. They're going to be a lot more improved with Donovan Mitchell. The Atlanta Hawks open the season on Wednesday at State Farm Arena against the Houston Rockets. Some of the storylines, the Houston Rockets have draft pick Jabari Smith Jr. He played his high school basketball at Sandy Creek in Fayetteville, and he went to the University of Auburn, so he's coming back to his hometown. You got the Knicks taking on the Grizzlies, the Dallas Mavericks taking on the Phoenix Suns, and the Denver Nuggets taking on the Utah Jazz. Not sure what this Utah Jazz team is going to look like without Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. That's like the Lakers trading away Shaq and Kobe. I mean, that's what it looks like. Utah built their basketball team around these two superstars. I think Utah's going to be bad. I'll be honest with you. I'm still picking the Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA title. Mike Budenholzer is actually a very underrated coach. Giannis is the best player in the league. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are the two complimentary pieces to Giannis and I think that if Chris Middleton did not get hurt in that series against the Boston Celtics last year I think the Milwaukee Bucks would go play the Warriors in the NBA Finals and who knows what would have happened we had NHL last night you had the Carolina Hurricanes beating the Columbus Blue Jackets four to one the Montreal Canadiens beating the Maple Leafs four to three is this the year in the NHL where we finally get a team from Canada to win the Stanley Cup There has not been a team from Canada to win the Stanley Cup since 1993. The defending Stanley Cup champions, Colorado Avalanche, beat the Chicago Blackhawks 5-2, and their title defense starts. I actually thought the city of Denver was going to go on a run like this, but the Denver Broncos have been disappointing. All right, well, tonight at the Columbus Civic Center, the Columbus River Dragons are in action as they will take on the Mississippi Seawolves. The Columbus River Dragons had an amazing season last year, making it to the Federal Prospects League's Commissioner's Cup, where they lost to the Watertown Wolves in double overtime in Game 3. But they hosted Game 1 at the Columbus Civic Center, and since COVID, that was the most electric atmosphere that the Columbus Civic Center has ever had. The regular season will start on Friday, October 21st, as they will travel to take on the Elmira Mammoth, And you can listen to the game here on WQEE 99.1 FM, The Key, as Tom Callahan, the new voice of the Columbus River Dragons, will be providing the play-by-play. I have also talked to Ignite Sports that I'm going to be the exclusive podcast for Columbus River Dragons coverage. I'm going to cover them on the show. I'm going to try to get some River Dragons on as guests. And uh, we should have a lot of fun. The first home game for the regular season is going to be November the 11th at the Columbus Civic Center. They will take on the defending Federal Prospects Hockey League champions, the Watertown Wolves. The Columbus Rapids. The Rapids. I talk a little bit about the Rapids on this show. You know, I'm involved with their broadcast team. They have a new soccer coach. His name is Rafiq Hassam. He played for the Atlanta Silverbacks from 2007 to 2008. Rafiq Hassam is going to be the men and the women's coach, and he's also going to be a player on the men's team. So we have a little situation in Columbus, kind of like with Corey Adamson for the Memphis Americans. So excited about the season. Their first preseason game is December 1st. Recent news, they just signed Megan Byers. Hometown player, played at Columbus High, went on to play at the University of South Carolina in the SEC, scored the first goal in Columbus Rapids women's history, and she's also been a guest on the show. All right, I think it's time to bring Corey Bake on for the Daily Dash so we can make some NFL picks. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be back with Corey. Welcome to the Daily Dash. I have my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bake. On, and we are going to make some NFL picks. Corey, what's up? Nothing much, Richard. It's a great week. We're going into week six. Week six, and your Jets are three and two. I mean, that is incredible. All right, we're going to start with your Jets. Why not? They're taking on the Green Bay Packers. I know you mentioned this game, and you were talking about how difficult it's going to be 
Zach Wilson going up against Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay is favored by seven and a half. This game is in Lambeau, but both teams are three and two. There's just something special about this Jets team. They play hard for their head coach, Robert Sala. So the New York football Jets come into this game, Richard, with a three and two record. In their last game, the Jets went against the Miami Dolphins and they took the win, snapping their losing streak at home and snapping their losing streak in the AFC East, losing 12 straight football games. They won that game 40-17. to Zach Wilson connected on a 14-21 with 210 yards passing. He had a quarterback rating of 99.3 and ended the game without throwing an interception. Now the story of the game, Brees Hall was the best rusher for the Jets. 18 carries, 97 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. In this game, he also was the leading pass catcher. He had 100 receiving yards, 198 all-purpose yards. The New York Jets ended up running the football in that game 33 times for 135 yards, 4 yards a carry, and they had 322 yards in the game. The New York team allowed 34 rushes for 158 yards, and 55.9% against the rush. Now you have your Green Bay Packers, led by quarterback Aaron Rodgers. They are 3-2. Their last week's game, they took on the New York football Giants, losing 27-22. Aaron Jones toting the rock 13 times for 63 yards, finishing the game with 4.8 yards per carry for those Green Bay Packers. Randall Cobb was the leading receiver for the Packers. Seven catches, 99 yards, 14.1 yards. Aaron Rodgers threw for two touchdowns, ending the contest with 222 yards passing on 25-39 with a QB rating of 96.3. He didn't throw any interceptions in the ball game. In that regard, the Packers' pass defense conceded completion percentage of 77.8. That is rather high, giving up 213 yards on 21 of 27 through the air. The Packers finished the game with 301 yards of their own on offense, and they rushed 4.7 yards per carry, finishing with 94 yards on 20 carries. In this battle between the NFC North and the AFC East, I will take... My New York Jets. All right, moving on to the New England Patriots taking on the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are favored by two and a half, but this is Bill Belichick. He seems to own the Cleveland Browns. As you remember, Corey, he used to be the head coach for the Cleveland Browns, and they fired him. I believe he has dominated this series. I'm going to pick the Patriots because I believe Mac Jones is going to be playing, and the Cleveland Browns are a little banged up. I mean, they had a very tough game against the Los Angeles Chargers. They're two and three. The Patriots are two and three. I believe the Patriots are going to win this game on the road. Corey, do you agree? So in this game, the New England Patriots come into this matchup with a record of two and three in the season. In their last contest, the Patriots took the field against the Lions, and it was a home win indeed, 29-0. Bailey Zappay went 17 of 21 with 108 in the air, and a touchdown. He had a QB rating of 100 and finished the contest with one interception. Jacoby Myers left with an average of 15.9 yards per catch, 111 yards on seven catches. Ramondre Stevenson was the leader on the ground for the Patriots. 25 carries and an impressive 161 yards on the ground. 6.4 yards per rush. When the Patriots are able to get the run game going like they did, because they are a run first team, and then they pass second, they're really tough to beat. So the New England Patriots rushed that ball 35 times all game for 176, 5 yards per attempt. And when it came to the battle of the line of scrimmage, Richard, the Patriots gave 101 yards and 27 carries, which is 3.7 yards per rush surrendered. So this New England relinquished team gave up 19 completions of 35 attempts for 211 yards, 54%. Now this Browns team heading to this game, 2-3 and three indeed, Richard. The last time they stepped on the field, the Browns walked away with a loss. 
by a score of 30 to 28 when they faced the Chargers. Nick Chubb ran for his consistent 17 carries, 134 yards, 7.9 yards a rush. Amari Cooper was the top contributor in the passing game for the Browns. Seven catches for 76 yards, 10.9 yards per catch. Jacoby Brissett threw a touchdown. He walked away from this contest with a 230-yard gain on 21-34 passing with a QB percentage rate of 79.3. The Cleveland team relinquished 34 carries of 238 yards. That is a lot for this rush defense that is led by Miles Garrett. The Browns' pass defense gave up a completion percentage of 64.7%. 227 yards on 22-34 passing. The Browns finished the game with a total of 443 yards, 6.8 yards per play. So, in this battle of the AFC North and the East, I will go and take the Browns in this game. Okay, Corey. The San Francisco 49ers are five-and-a-half-point favorites. They are 3-2 and two after defeating the Carolina Panthers. The Atlanta Falcons had a heartbreaking loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Falcons are 2-3. and three. The Atlanta Falcons have been in every single game. So Kyle Shanahan is facing his former team, the team that he was the offensive coordinator for from 2015 to 2016. What the 49ers are known for is jumping out to an early lead on teams. But Kyle Shanahan is also known for blowing fourth quarter leads. The Falcons have climbed back into the game against the Rams and the game against the Buccaneers. Corey, I'm calling it. Kyle Shanahan is fourth quarter lead to the Atlanta Falcons, making it the biggest ironic statement in the history of the NFL. That is some bold statement, Richard. The San Francisco 49ers head into this matchup 3-2 in the season. When they last stepped on the football field, the 49ers went up against the Panthers. They took a home win by a score of 37-15. Jimmy Garoppolo went 18-30 with 253 yards through the air, and two touchdowns. He had a QB rating of 109.4 and walked away from the game without throwing an interception. That is very crucial. Now, Jeff Wilson led the offense in rushing for the 49ers. 17 carries, 120 yards, 7.1 yards per attempt, Richard. George Kittle averaged 9.4 yards per catch, 47 yards on five receptions. The San Francisco 49ers team ran the ball 29 different occasions, accumulated 153 yards, a 5.3 yards per carry average. Very decent. So they also conceded on the ground 64 yards on 17 carries, 3.8 yards a rush. Now this Falcons team, 2-3. and three. The last time they stepped on the football field, the Falcons walked away with a loss. 21-15 against their division foe, the Buccaneers. Marcus Mariota had a touchdown. He finished the game with 147 yards on 14-25 passing. Marcus Mariota carried the football seven times for 61 yards, 8.7 yards per rush, and he was also the leading rusher in the football game. Drake London was the best receiver for the Falcons. Four catches, 35 yards. The Atlanta team rushed for 4.9 yards per attempt, totaling 151 on the ground on 31 carries. The Falcons finished the game with 261 yards, and the Falcons' pass defense allowed a completion rate of 67.3%. So with all this data in this game, I am still going to take the 49 Bosa is going to play in this game. Now, if he plays, it's a different defense. But the Falcons are going to be able to move the football on the 49ers. The 49ers have played a lot of close games. Kyle Shanahan does not put teams away. And I think the Falcons will find a way. Jarrett comes up with another defensive stop. And A.J. Terrell picks off Jimmy Garoppolo. And the Corey, I've seen this way too many times. I mean, these two teams are very similar. And I just think that the Falcons are due to get a win against the 49ers like they did in 2019 when Julio Jones was an inch away from uh, breaking the plane and the call was overturned. We all penciled in this game when we saw 
that divisional round playoff game between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. When the Chiefs won that game, we wanted the overtime rules to be changed. Well, now we get it in primetime on CBS, and the Bills are favored. Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes. I cannot wait for this game. It's supposed to be the best game so far this football season. My personal opinion, the two best teams in the NFL. But with that being said, the Buffalo Bills come into this matchup with a record of 4-1 this year. When they last took the field, the Bills faced the inferior Steelers and walked away with a win of 38-3. Josh Allen finished 20-31 of 31 with 424 yards passing and four touchdowns. A quarterback rating of 134.1. And he ended the game with one interception. Josh Allen was also the leading rusher on the ground for the Buffalo Bills. Five carries, 42 yards, 8.4 yards per carry. Stephon Diggs had 12.8 yards per reception by earning 102 yards on eight catches. The dynamic receiver in Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills ran the football a total 18 times, 120 yards on the ground, 6.7 yards per carry in the game. They had 552 yards. Unbelievable. Buffalo surrendered 34 completions on the game for 52, 310 yards overall. And now the Bills rushing defense stouts up front, penetrating the backfield. They've only let up 54 yards on 17 carries, three yards per carry. Now for your Chiefs. The Chiefs step into this game with a record of 4-1 this season. In their last contest, they just squeaked out a win against their division foe, the Las Vegas Raiders. 30-29, Patrick Mahomes threw four touchdowns in the game. He finished the contest with 292 yards on 29-43 passing while he had a QBR rating of 117.6. He did not throw any interception in this game. McCole Hardman was his top contributor in the passing game. Four catches, 73 yards, 18 yards per reception, and the leading rusher in the game was Jarek McKinnon, running for eight carries. 53 yards, ending the game with 6.6 yards per attempt. The Chiefs finished the game with 368 yards of total offense. Now this Kansas City team rushed 4.5 per carry, totaling 103 yards on 23 carries. This Kansas City team gave up 24 rushing attempts for 155 yards, Richard. The Chiefs' secondary conceded a completion rate of 63.3%. 19 of 30 passing, 223 yards in this battle. The division leaders from the AFC West and the AFC East. I will take the home team, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm taking the Buffalo Bills because they're looking for some payback for that uh, divisional round game. The Sunday night football game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are favored by six. The Cowboys, not sure if Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott is going to get the start. If it's broke, don't fix it. Start Cooper Rush. He's 5-0 and as a starter. The Cowboys have a great defense. The Eagles have a great ground game, and Jalen Hurts has been the surprise of the league. I mean, I'm picking the Eagles in this game to and to still remain undefeated. What direction are you going? Well, in this direction of this game, the Cowboys are coming in with a 4-1 and record, Richard. The last time they stepped on the field, the Cowboys played the Rams and took home the win, 22-10. Tony Pollard was the leading rusher for the Cowboys. Eight attempts, 86 yards. When you're in this league, Richard, and you're able to average a first down every time you touch the football, he averaged 10.8 in the game. That is truly special and dynamic. CeeDee Lamb, he averaged 10.6 yards per catch. Five catches, 53 yards. Cooper Rush, stay consistent, 10 of 16. 102 yards passing, a game manager indeed. 80.7 in his QBR rating. Now they walked away the contest, Richard, without throwing an interception. In the running game, the Cowboys really need to get it together in that regard. 15 carries, 38 yards is what they actually gave up. 
So their defense is totally dynamic with Micah Parsons, Leighton Venderesh, and that entire defensive line with Demarcus Lawrence and their whole secondary with Trayvon Diggs. So in that one, that is crazy there. Now the Eagles coming to this game, they are 5-0. The biggest surprise, like you said, Richard, all year. We No one expected this to happen. But the Eagles come into this matchup, and they last placed played a team by the name of the Cardinals. They won 20-17. to Jalen Hurts walked away from this football game 239 yards passing for 26-36 through the air. QBR rating of 89.9. He did not throw any picks. Devontae Smith, the best day in terms of receiving yards for this team on the day. He caught 10 balls, 87 yards. Jalen Hurts ran the football 15 times for 61 yards and finishing the contest with 4.1 yards per carry. This Philadelphia team is truly special this season. And that is why in this football game, Richard, I'm going to have to take the Eagles. Always a pleasure, Corey. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Always amazing time with you, man. All right. That was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. We'll be right back with Jared Dillard. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. And on the show today, I've got the play-by-play announcer for the Columbus Lions and part of the Auburn High School multimedia department is they got a big game this Friday night between the Central Red Devils. Jared, what's going on? You know, it's going well. We're just getting ready for kind of a big week of, you know, with volleyball area tournament, obviously the big showdown in the state. All right, well, let's go ahead and get right into it because, you know, you work with Auburn High School in the multimedia department. I had you on the show a couple weeks ago. We were previewing the high school game of the week between the Auburn Tigers and the Opelika Bulldogs. But now they even have a bigger game. This time it's on the road at Garrett Harrison Stadium. The Auburn Tigers undefeated, number one in the state of Alabama, taking on the Central Red Devils, who are 6-2. and two. This is a huge game when it comes to – Region play because I believe the winner of this game is going to win the region and is going to host several home playoff games when it comes to the AHSA state playoff for 7A. But, Jared, they're traveling on the road down to Phoenix City. Uh, do you guys travel to do the broadcast? Uh, for some broadcasts, we'll travel. Uh, for this week, we will not travel. Uh, we're going to take it out the rest week for us because with Auburn, they'll, they'll, have, they'll have senior night on the 28th, and then we hope it will be three straight home playoff games up until the semifinals. So we're, we're, talking, we're kind of taking a rest. So Arvid is playing like the number one team all year, and it really starts and finishes with their dynamic duo at quarterback, Clyde Pittman and Davis Harson. You have no idea who to prepare for. You know you got a big task coming up against the Central Red Devils who have three players that are going to play at the next level. A.J. Harris at corner. You have Carmelo English, a talented wide receiver, and T.J. Parker, who is wrecking havoc on the line. Central played IMG Academy this year. Like, Auburn played IMG Academy last year and actually almost pulled off the upset. These two teams, there's no love lost. And we know that they faced each other multiple times in playoff games. Auburn has won one year. Central won last year, 28-17. to So you know that you're not going – to not see this team again. I believe that these two teams are going to meet in the playoffs. But, yeah, it's a big game Friday. No, it's a big game. And, you know, when you're looking at Auburn's schedule, you saw Hoover to open up the season and you circled it because, you know, as a top five matchup, it's a big showdown. The next week you saw Enterprise on the road to open the region. You circled that. You know it's a big game. You kind of skip down to Opelika. Biggest rival, 97th time you meet them, going to be a big game. That other game that is circled on the calendar for me personally for Auburn High School was this Central Road game. It's not that I don't think Auburn's going to win, but road games are tough. And I think you look at Auburn's schedule, Auburn's played some really good teams. But the one other game that you can probably talk about where Auburn kind of sputtered a little bit was that Enterprise Road game in the second week of the season. Now, there's a lot of things you can say about that game. It was, like I said, the second game of the season. 
It was the first road game. How's Auburn going to respond? Because really, this is Auburn's third true road game. This is the third time, really, they're going into enemy territory to play. Uh, their other road game was against Lee Montgomery, where they beat them up 58-7 to on a Thursday. So I think this is going to be a big challenge for the team that they got to be prepared for. Um, and I think Auburn will pull out the victory on the road against Central, but it's going to be tough. It's definitely a game where people ask me in the hallway, hey, how do you think it's going to go? And I kind of sit there, and, and, it's, and I, I have to think about it for a little bit. This whole season, except for Hoover, I didn't really have to think about what I was going to say. So this is the first time since that first game against Hoover where when somebody stops me in the hallway here at the high school, I have to stop there and think, hey, is Auburn going to win? Like, what does Auburn have to do to put away Central on the road? I go back, I look at all these Central broadcasts, I kind of see how these other teams played Central, and kind of, does Auburn have that? Auburn has a really good running game, and Auburn can definitely air the ball out better than they did last year. Well, that defense, that stingy defense, right? Opelika scored 29 points. That was the most points Auburn's given up all year. But Auburn has scored 31 or more points in six of seven games. Will that be enough? Can Auburn reach that magic 31 number? I truly do believe if Auburn scores 31 points, Auburn will win that football game. That is that magic number. Can Auburn get a big 3-1? What are some of the strengths that Clyde Pittman and Davis Harson bring to that Auburn offense? Like, what are some things that Clyde can do that Davis can't do? I think for Clyde, and they're, they're both kind of similar. I would say the biggest difference between the two, that Davis definitely, and, and Clyde would, would hate hearing this, but I would say Davis is the more mobile quarterback. Uh, and I know against Opelika, Clyde would, would pull up his highlight of his 50-yard touchdown run that he had, right? But Davis is the more, I would say, athletic, on-the-go type quarterback. You're more Bo Nix type. Where I think the, the the strength with Clyde, and I think he would like this uh, aspect of himself, he can sit in the pocket. He can wait for that receiver to get open in the middle of the field. And he has the accuracy of like nobody I've ever seen uh, in 7A this year. So for for Clyde, his accuracy, but he's still very athletic. He can beat you with his feet. For Davis, he brings an extra spark. There's not as much film on him. And you hear that he's a running quarterback, but he can definitely surprise you with those sideline throws. He has a good arm on him. So I would say they're, they're similar quarterbacks, but Clyde's more your pocket passer, big arm. Davis is your more, uh, I can beat you with my feet anywhere I go has a lot of confidence for a junior. He can throw it anywhere on the field. With the state championship being held at Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn, I know Auburn's number one goal is to get home field advantage. What would that mean for the Auburn Tigers to get the overall number one seed in the state playoffs where they don't have to leave at all when it comes to state playoff time? And, you know, I think it, I think it would mean the world to this team. This is a team – that I mean, you 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 listen to what some of these players are saying, and I, and I said a couple of weeks ago, they're not getting a big head about what's going on. They know they got a target on their back. They know that this is the year. They see that Central is, is still a great team. Don't get me wrong, but they see that Central may not be as good as they were. They see that Thompson has a couple of holes, and they see that hey, they beat Hoover in the first game of the season. And Auburn is a better team since then. So they 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 feel it. They 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 definitely feel that it's ours to lose and it's in our own backyard. And they're ready to erase what happened a couple of years ago in Tuscaloosa uh, against Thompson. They're ready to erase that pass. They're ready to get that first state championship in Auburn high history. They know that they have a good team. They're very confident, but they're not letting it get to them. They know but they got to take care of business against Central. They got to take care of business against Prattville. And they got to end it against Smith Station. And there you take a deep breath and go into playoffs and do your thing. And Auburn's having a great season. But I want to talk about the other small schools around the Auburn area because there's been success with just about every team from every different classification in Alabama. Lochapoca, this is just down the road from Auburn. They're undefeated. You have Beauregard. They're undefeated in 5A. You have Hanley up the road in Roanoke, who's 7-1. Uh, and, and Lee Scott Academy out of the AISA. 
is undefeated. It looks like they could win a state championship. What does that mean for the area to have such success in high school football? You know, it, it, it really shows the talent that is sitting in that in this one geographic area. I mean, you, you take your Auburn, Lee Scott, Beauregard. If you even expand a little bit more, right? Central is only about 30, 40 minutes away from Auburn. Opelika is next door neighbors with Auburn. There's so much talent between all these teams. And it's just, it's, it's amazing kind of the grind that a lot of these teams got to go through. I mean, talk about, you know, if, if we're talking soccer, right? If we're talking about like the, the league or the group of death, I mean, 7A region two, I would not want to be sitting in there with Auburn, Central, Opelika, and then you had your Prattvilles that are 5-2 and two and kind of just sitting there waiting to upset people. I know last show we talked about how Dothan was kind of just having a good year, 5-2. and two. I know they lost this past week, but Dothan's having a good season. Um, you kind of start bouncing around to other classifications, and we, we talk about our board guards, Hanley up the road. Uh, Lee Scott Academy is sitting there at number two. You go down a little bit in the rankings, number six. Look, there's Glenwood over at Smith Station, Alabama. So there's just so much. I mean, Lochapoca, let me not forget about Lochapoca, 7 and 0, number eight and 1A. There's so much talent in this central East Alabama area. And you, you see all these new players transferring in uh, from Mobile or from the Huntsville area coming down here and, and trying to get to that 7A, trying to find those scholarships. It's, it's really amazing to see how far high school football has come because, I mean, it, it's getting up there. You, you got to recruit. You got to have that college atmosphere. A lot of these schools have the LED lights and school boards now, right? It's like a, it's like a little college atmosphere at, at a lot of these schools. And another school I forgot, if you go up more north, if you go up towards Anniston in this little town called Wadawi, Randolph County is 7-0. I forgot about Randolph County. I mean, yeah, right. You know, Randolph County doing their thing too. And the Central Clay County, which Russell County's got to play in a, a couple of weeks. But let's go ahead and talk about that final game because it's very sentimental to you yeah, because your alma mater is Smith Station. Smith Station is coming to the Duck on October the 28th. And I know that means a lot to you because you went to Smith Station. They did knock off Prattville, but they're having a tough season. Actually, mathematically, they look like they were still in contention for the playoffs, but they did lose to Opelika. They still have Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee, which I think are winnable games. I think that Smith Station could pick up three wins, but that final game against Auburn, I've, I've called a couple of Smith Station games. Coach Glisson does a great job. They do have some – Playmakers, Devin Pierman as a wide receiver, uh, Jackson Greer coming back as a starter. But it's going to be a tough task for Smith Station to compete with Auburn. But uh, what does that final game mean to you now that you work at Auburn and Smith Station is your alma mater? Um, you know, it's tough because, uh, in fact, the last time that Smith Station beat Auburn, and the last 17 times Smith Station's played Auburn, Smith Station is one and sixteen. What was that one win? It was back on September thirteenth of two thousand thirteen on a Friday night. Auburn went to Smith Station and lost thirty four to eighteen. Why do I remember that night? That was my senior year at Smith Station. Smith Station with Coach Mark Rose had a good team. My senior class got to the quarterfinals against McGill Tulane and lost. That was the last time. That Smith Station beat Auburn back in 2013. Since then, it just hasn't been close. Auburn's put up 34 or more points since 2016 each time they played. I'm going to be quite honest. I don't see that changing uh, on October 28th. It's interesting because a lot of people here at the school know that I went to Smith Station. So they ask, hey, are you excited for Smith Station to, to, to come on down and play football? And I was like, well, it depends on what definition of exciting you're talking about. If you think I'm excited because Auburn's going to win a football game, sure. If you think I'm excited that Smith Station, I have to see them go out there. Of, I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, Smith Station has a lot of heart. They keep fighting. The offense is really good. The offense puts up points. But it, it, it's just trying to win these extra couple of games. So, I think Lee and Jeff Davis, those are winnable games for Smith Station. I think Smith Station can get a little bit of momentum. Maybe, just maybe, they, they can do something against Auburn. 
But, you know, it's a tough year. Uh, they're going to go out there. They're going to play their best. They're going to play some national football um, and kind of try to end the year on the high note. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to their back-to-back games against Jeff Davis and uh, Lee Montgomery because I think Smith Station is going to win back-to-back games right there. Mark my words. That would be great for the program, three wins. That that would actually be one more win that they had last season. Uh, let's go ahead and switch gears to the Columbus Lions because you are the play-by-play announcer for the Columbus Lions. A lot of changing of the guard. They have a brand-new coach, head coach Chris McKinney, the defensive backs coach coming over from the Albany Empire. But the biggest shocker was when Coach Jason Gibson announced that he was leaving the Columbus Lions to be the next head coach at the Jacksonville Sharks. Now, we haven't talked about this. Well, we haven't had a a recorded podcast where we talked about this. What was your thoughts of Coach Gibson leaving the Lions? You know, at first it, it was it was it was shock because I remember uh it was a random like eleven o'clock at night, and I, I think you also get these emails, Richard. But we uh, we we would get an email from Coach, and he sent a, a very simple email just uh, thanking everybody for the season, and you know, and, and and blessing everybody. And I thought, man, that's a that is a really odd email for eleven o'clock at night, and then about two weeks later. Uh, he announced that he was leaving uh, to go coach Jacksonville. And it, and it kind of started adding up. And I think it's only shocking because it's Jacksonville um, and that he's been the only coach that Columbus has had since they, they've been a team. So it, it's like losing your Bill Belichick, right? It, it's like Bill Belichick leaving the Patriots and going to go coach for the Jets. Um, it, it's weird. I think at the end of the day, a change of scenery for both parties may have been needed. I think Coach Gibson wanted kind of a, a new challenge, a new start with Jacksonville. And I think for Columbus, with the, with, with the rebranding and, and getting a new coach, it was just kind of that honor the past but look forward to the future type of thing. Um, so I think for both parties, it's going to work out wonderfully. Uh, I know we talked about that first game of the season. It better be Jacksonville versus Columbus. And, and God help us if that championship game shakes out to, you know, Columbus and Jacksonville, right? Because that, that's just writing a whole bunch of storylines. And I wish Coach Gibson the best of luck in Jacksonville. I mean, it's 100%. a great fit. Great fit for him. I'm looking forward to Coach McKinney coming on and coaching the Columbus Lions. And uh, I'm excited about the new unis, a uh, brand new logo. Uh, we do have some familiar players that have re-signed with the Columbus Lions to include Darrell Green. I'm telling you, Jared, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to uh, 2023. And uh, looking forward to getting up there in the broadcast booth and uh, start calling some games for the Columbus Lions in, in 2023. And hopefully that first game is against Jacksonville because we got a lot of stuff to talk about on the air. Yeah, I, look, I, when I say that I'm, I'm excited for spring to come around, but I am like, I, I, right now, like my legs are shaking. I have a smile on my face. Like, it's exciting. Like, it's it's it's. it's Something new. It's something like to look forward to. Not only with Columbus, with the rebranding, new coach, but there's two new teams in the league to bring back the old rebound nets. Some teams are getting shaken up a little bit. Some players are getting resigned. Like it, it's an exciting all season. I am excited. I cannot wait. Good luck this Friday. Uh, hopefully, Auburn can get the win over the Central Red Devils, and they can wrap up this region. Still got to play Prattville and Smith Station, so it's not a foregone conclusion if they beat Central that they'll win the region. But I don't know, do they clinch? Because they'll have the tiebreaker, and Central will have two losses. Regardless of the outcome between Prattville and Smith Station, Auburn would win the region. From from what I understand, Auburn and Central have both clinched playoffs. They're going no matter what. For Auburn to clinch the region, they would have to beat Central – and they technically still need a Prattville loss only because with Prattville, Prattville has two region losses. Auburn has none. And if Auburn were to lose to Prattville and Smith Station, Prattville would have a tiebreaker on Auburn. Uh, so that would require Prattville to win out and Auburn to lose to Prattville. That's like maybe a 0.5% chance of happening, I feel like, at that point. So like for Auburn, they would be like right at the door of clinching with a win against Central. And then we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens against Prattville. Kind of reminds me of a Columbus-Orlando playoff scenario where Orlando would have had the tiebreaker against Columbus if they would have won out. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun playing the, the high school who, who clinches scenarios each week, kind of just going and doing the math on all these teams. But, yes, 
Auburn and Central, I can't confirm, have clinched along with Thompson, Hoover, and Austin uh, down in Region 4. Uh, they have officially clinched. They'll be going to the playoffs. Wow. It would, would be nice to see Thompson again, a rematch of the 2020 state championships. Thompson is – somebody's got to be Thompson. They have won – Three straight playoff uh, championships, yeah. I think. I think and, and, like, a, a lot of people look at Thompson's record. They're like, oh, they got two losses. And I was like, do you not understand who those two losses came to? Buford and David Lipscomb. Buford, who was, like, number one in Georgia and, like, number five nationally. And then the the, the, the team over in Tennessee that also won a state title, right? David, it's like, David Lipscomb, coached by Trey yeah. Dilfer. So, like, you know, they're, you know, they're, you know, a, a little bit good. Just to put it lightly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not too shabby. Jared, let's switch gears. Let's talk about some college football. You're an Auburn fan, right? Unfortunately, right now. Do you think that Matt Rule would be a good fit at Auburn? Because it looks like that that Brian Harson is probably going to get let go. I, I don't think he's going to get fired midseason. I think he is probably not going to return at the end of the season. So do you think that Matt Rule would be a good hire for Auburn? You know, he had a lot of success at Baylor. Turn him um, around. And he, he turned that program around and I know that, like, people it, – it, it, remember, like, how people say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So people are going to remember his tenure at Carolina and not really remember his time at Baylor. Um, and then there's a whole thing that some teams kind of have a, a thing about. Is he an Auburn man? Does he fit the mold of what we look for at Auburn? And I think at the end of the day, he recruited well at Baylor. And, you know, when, when you're in Texas, you got to recruit against Texas. you got to recruit against Texas Tech. And then other teams go into the area, so Alabama, your Ohio State. Like Texas is a breeding ground, just like Florida is. And he was able to recruit well inside Texas. I think he can do very well in the Alabama, Georgia, Florida area pipeline. Um, I think he brings a lot of experience. I, I think uh, something else you got to keep in mind, that it may take a year or two for him to kind of get back to that flow of things and, and kind of build up the recruiting class and, and kind of steal those recruits. But right now, I mean, Auburn, the, the wheels are starting to shake on the bus a little bit for, for Auburn football. And I, I don't want to say the writing's on the wall right now, but, I mean, the, the, it's a fan base that definitely is is already looking for a change. All right, and Auburn's got a tough game against Ole Miss. Kickoff is at noon, 11 Central. And Auburn had a tough time against the Georgia Bulldogs, losing 42-10. to 10. Hopefully they can get that quarterback situation figured out. I know that it's going to be some growing pains for Robbie Ashford, but if they can get the quarterback right, I think that Auburn can turn this around, but it's hard for Coach Harson getting put into the situation he has been put in and uh, just wish Auburn nothing but the best of luck this year. I mean, hopefully they can get to six wins and uh, get to a bowl game. I mean, they're three and three. There's a possibility that they could think they could beat Arkansas. Uh, there are some winnable games on there. I think that Texas A&M looks vulnerable. I mean, there's a chance that Auburn can get to a bowl game this year. The, the season's not completely lost. And, and, and that's the tough part. There have been winnable games, right, like LSU. But that second half, it kind of just – it all falls apart. And that, that, that's the most frustrating thing about it, right? And I, I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes into, that Auburn can look good in games, but they look good in the first half. And then the second half is a different story. Speaking of Auburn, what do you think about Auburn basketball? They they had very high expectations. They were the overall number one ranked team for a while in, in, in the NCAA. They had a number two seed, but they lost to Miami in the second round. But, but Jared, I know they lost Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. What Bruce Pearl is building at Auburn is something special. I mean, it's not about – these players leaving for the NBA. It's about Auburn basketball reloading. He's definitely building a legacy there at Auburn. And it's always so fun. Like, like I'm not used to one and done athletes coming to Auburn. So, like, every year it's like, oh, we have this great player, then he's gone. And then we get another great player, and he's gone. And in my mind, I'm like, is that what all these other schools with these blue bloods are going through each year? It's just, here's this great player, and then they're gone? So, I mean, it's I'm excited for Auburn basketball season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I, I trust Coach Pearl. Like, and they could reload everybody, every single person from my, uh, next year. And I trust that he brings in the, the, the best of players. So 
I'm excited for basketball. Will we reach number one again? I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but hey, I, I'm in it for the ride, and Coach Pearl always makes it a fun ride. Well, I'm excited that Auburn has Jabari Smith Jr. out of Sandy Creek High School in Fanville, Georgia, the same high school as Megatron, Calvin Johnson. And guess what, Jared? Their first game, the Houston Rockets, will play the Atlanta Hawks. So he gets to go to his home state and play a game at State Farm Arena against the Atlanta Hawks next Wednesday night. And you know what? I love it for him. I, I feel like that's just a great you, – you can't script it any better, right? Uh, being the, the top pick for a team, the the anchor, the, the person of the franchise, going to your home state, playing in front of what I assume is one of his favorite teams, the Atlanta Hawks, being from that area, um, and then just having fun, you know? Just go out there and have fun. Oh, yeah, Jared. Had a blast. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talk a little bit about Auburn High School and the Columbus Lions. And I'm looking forward to you coming on a couple more times before we get ready for the 2023 season for the Columbus Lions. So it's always been a pleasure. Always is fun. Always happy to talk Columbus Lions, Auburn High football. I don't know if I'll be happy to talk about Auburn University football, but we'll we'll see how this year goes, right? Absolutely. That was Jared Dillard the play-by-play announcer, and my broadcast partner for the Columbus Lions and works at Auburn High School in the multimedia department. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to another show of the Sports Beat with Richard Holders. Don't forget that we are found on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for the Friday Night Lights High School Football Preview Review Show tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. I hope everybody has a great evening. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.